we could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. Welcome to the karaoke edition of Fraudsters, ladies and gentlemen. that look at out to- tours across the country karaoke look out the voice simon cal i'm gonna be performing in your backyard any day now we should be canceled for doing that you can never be canceled you can never you have to let us sing and express ourselves the beauty within us <laughs> that was i apologize in my head that was an amazing idea we apologize to the entire american west Welcome back to Fraudsters. Now with new intro music. Special thanks to Simon Tafik for his work on that. Sounds very mysterious, Justin, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I really like it. It's like you, you, put, you like I feel like I should have a mask on or something. <laughs> exactly. I, we are. Someone is being conned. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's the audience. Who knows? Uh, Justin, you know Miss Cleo and the PRN scammed people in the late nineties. But today, our fraudster was born in the late 90s. Jacob Wool, born in December 97. He's only 23 right now. 23 fucking years old. 2023. I can't even imagine doing this much damage when I was 23. And he's currently awaiting a criminal court date for allegedly selling investment products. So illegally selling stocks, bonds, investment vehicles, that kinds of things. But he did that. When he was 19, he started investing money for people at like 14. He's like the Doogie Hauser for finance if Doogie Hauser lied about everything. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. All the damage I was doing when I was 19 to 23 was mostly on plentyoffish.com. What is that, the, 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 the dating site? Yes, yeah, the dating site where everything has gone wrong. Oh my God, that seems that's early for you to be on a dating site though, Justin. Very early. <laughs> you know what but we should take a moment though and congratulate you you are a new father that's right uh i have a child and it's incredible it's <laughs> i'm america's dad now you are america's dad well congratulations he's the heir to the empire of north newark exactly uh... <laughs> and the show <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I bequeath you a, a Spotify exclusive podcast. Ah, Daddy, I don't want that. <laughs> you gotta take it. Thirty-five episodes a year. It is your inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacob Wool, though, I mean, uh, this guy was doing so much crazy shit at such a young age. Is he a boy genius? Is he a sinister manipulator? Is he a wannabe performance artist? 
Or will he be the next 30 under 30 for going to prison for securities fraud? Is he the next owner of the New York Islanders? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Justin, I, just like Cleo, I actually asked a bunch of people about Jacob Bull, and they had no idea who he was. But then I would say, you remember that rumor that got started where Ted Cruz's father killed Kennedy and Trump retweeted? Or remember when someone accused Robert Mueller of sexually assaulting a woman in a St. Regis hotel? Oh, I remember. It kind of reminds me like in New York when you like walk into a bar and you're like, have I been here? I, I smell the memory. I feel like I've been, I feel like I've been drunk here. And then you go to the bathroom like, yep, definitely did blow in this bathroom. That's Jacob Wool. That's the, ma- I connect it now. Yeah, he's the bar uh, that has the bathroom with no toilet seat on it. <laughs> so his name's been in the news. It's always a blip in the white noise of our news feed that shows up and it quickly gets rejected because it's full of shit. It's always full of shit. And we all move on with our lives, but those stories linger. They linger in our minds, creating kind of this canvas of how we see information and news today. And the people that get involved, sometimes they get involved for, you know, money. Sometimes it's against their better judgment. Sometimes it's just for fame. And sometimes it's for love. Jacob has a business partner that he's done a bunch with named Jack Berkman, who is a conservative lobbyist and conspiracy theorist. But we'll have to do a whole breakdown on him in another episode. Today, though, we're going to focus on Jacob's financial misdeeds. But politically, that's where him and Jack Berkman have been the most busy. And so it would I would be remiss to not kind of include some of those crazy hijinks that they've done. So I'll, I'll break down some of them here, and then we'll kind of dive into the financial crimes. So one of the things he did is he posted in the medium that a Michigan college student named Hunter Kelly was a victim of sexual assault and that Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg was to blame. By the time Wool tried to have a press conference about it, Hunter Kelly had come out and said all the allegations were unfounded. Wow. So the other thing he tried to do was prove that Ilan Omar married her brother so that he could get into school in America and get student loans. Here's the problem, though. When they found out who the brother was, he was actually a British citizen who could have gone to college for free at what I think might have been a better school than the University of South Dakota. (laughs) Sorry, coyotes. My bad. I didn't mean to throw shade. (laughs) Go coyotes. We love you, but please wear a mask up there. Yeah, exactly. But my personal favorite, and one that that Justin and I are going to get into a little bit later, maybe I think in the next episode, he did an entire press conference where he paid a vet to say that Elizabeth Warren bought his services from a site called Cowboys for Angels, And that she wanted BDSM sex so rough that she gave him a scar on his back. But what do you know? (laughs) At the press conference, the reporters went on his Instagram and found the scar in question from years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he just got called out at the press conference. So, I mean, that's just so sad. I guess you could say he didn't have a plan for that. Yeah, exactly. So he's even tried to raise money for a political intelligence fund where he said he could influence the political betting markets. I don't know if you guys know about the political betting markets, but they're pretty funny. They It's just like an actual, you know, bookie kind of thing online where you can like make bets on what will happen in certain races. 
and none of it worked out. It was proven to never sway any of the betting markets. I've got 400000 on Marianne Williamson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's the line on that? Plus 300,000 votes. <laughs> uh, and something a little bit more current. A woman was apparently paid a five-figure amount to say that her sexual assault, which happened, was actually at the hands of, get ready, Dr. Anthony Fauci in 2014. But she came forward through Reason Magazine to say that she was conned by Wool into saying these things. She even sent a recorded conversation of her, Wool, and Berkman talking about it. Turns out even that recorded conversation was a con. And we'll find out more in part two when we talk to Nancy Rommelman from Reason, who was the recipient of that audio recording. Just a, a Dr. Fauci? <laughs> yeah, a more sympathetic figure hasn't been framed since Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> It's the velocity of the lies that I think is impressive. You know, you, you can't you can't just do one a quarter. He's doing one a month kind of thing. Like he's got a really good clip. But let's dive into Jacob Wool's financial stuff and how he became this financial guru at such a young age. He's been called the young wolf of Wall Street, a label he rejects even though he's attracted controversy for allegedly misrepresenting profits and losses for a client's account and hiring models to flirt with potential investors. The market, it's just an easy way to exploit people's psychological failures and, and make money. I want to bring in Jacob, the wall of Wall Street, Wall. He's a 17-year-old high school football and basketball player and, by the way, Hedge fund manager. So you liked him or you hated him? No, I liked Gordon Gecko. Okay. I always thought he was a cool guy. Okay. Ah, what a nice boy. <laughs> I like I, I like the culture that celebrates. It's like check out this young criminal. Absolutely. I mean, this is like he is like student council president for capitalism. Okay, this is like what this kid really is. And he started all this in his teenage years. Justin, what were you doing at 14? Uh, when I was 14, I was playing basketball and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar rec specs while Ooh. Master P played in the background. Oh, mess. Make him say, uh, yeah. uh, na 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 <laughs> It's a great remix. Is that, is that the remix? That, that's, I, I'm very good at, you know, my second voice, look out, the voice. You got all the funk Master P missed there. <laughs> You know, in college, there was a girl who couldn't figure out my name. She couldn't remember my name. So she used the Master P song as a mnemonic device. And she'd go, oh, see, na, 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 na. <laughs> and then eventually it just became, oh, hey, na, 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 na. And I was like, <laughs> Elizabeth, if you're out there, I'll never forget. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for Master P for giving someone a mnemonic device to pronounce your Persian name and then exactly. have an excuse to not even attempt to say your name. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Why Why bother? There's a touching story for an Asian student somewhere about the Wu-Tang Clan and how that went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacob Wall was investing money for people as a teenager and then he starts, you know, getting some attention. He grew up in Corona, California, taking money from other people, even kids at school. And, you know, the kids at school were happy. They were making a little bit of money. And then he eventually starts a hedge fund. And, and Vice 
even did a doc on him, the teenage hedge fund manager. I mean, fucking vice, man. Is this what they're always going to do? I mean, if you just have some young kid who's doing something, did they even fact check if any of this shit was real? Now on Vice, the adolescent criminals of capitalism. From junior high to the SEC, we're going deep into the underbelly of trading snacks for stocks. The only thing that I think Jacob Bull was missing for that Vice documentary was a sleeve tattoo and shaved sides of his head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, he, you know, he did a lot of these network shows too. I mean, he was even actually on Fox Business uh, talking about the markets. We got a Charles Payne clip that we can play about that. Well, I implement a number of strategies and Warren Buffett's strategy, which of course has been very successful, is just one of them. But I can also implement a range of strategies. For example, as far as biotech goes, is it overvalued? Yes, probably. But people can still invest in it as long as they're doing it smart. So if they're taking big, long positions, they better be buying puts as insurance and investing smart and investing with companies that are making money. I mean, how much more fucking generic can you be? Is it overrated? Yes, probably. But if you're going long, you better buy some puts for insurance. It's like, don't be like Warren Buffett's great, but like make sure that you're like playing it smart. Play the market smart, everybody. I'm a smart guy. Play it smart. I would say that I've implemented a lot of strategies that are similar to the world's greatest investors. I've been very smart with biofuels. I've also tried <laughs> to bring synergy to my portfolio in regards to gains, losses. And I have bought and I have sold, but there are times when I have also held. So in conclusion, I am a very rich <laughs> investor man. So, so uh, his dad... You know, this apple doesn't fall far from the tree. David Wool, his father, is a huge Trump supporter who's been on Fox a bunch, and we're not going to play his clips. And I, I can't believe I'm going to actually say this. Uh, I found a calendar that he did, a topless calendar. Wait, didn't Miss Cleo have a calendar? Yeah. Uh, yes, she had a calendar. She had a, a classy, tasteful calendar, okay? She had a calendar where she took photography of things that she finds beautiful. David Wool has a calendar with MAGA model Breck Warsham where he's topless holding her up against a wall and she's in lingerie. Now, they're trying to sell it for $25 and I don't want to besmirch them too much because the proceeds go to the Wounded Warriors Project and the Gary Sinise Foundation. But I mean, come on, what the fuck, guys? Just just make a bake sale, right? I mean, they just put a GoFundMe up or something. You know, you I actually have a topless calendar for sale right now, and all the proceeds go to the Ed Harris Foundation. <laughs> Ed Harris? I don't, what does Ed Harris do? Hey, you raised for Gary Sinise, I raised for Ed Harris. Let, let, us, let me choose which <laughs> great 90s character actor. <laughs> Okay, so there's one other story about David Wool uh, that I want to share, too, because he's a lawyer and he was also a former TV journalist for a local California station. And I saw a report he did that he put together about a woman who escaped from a serial killer. And, you know, this audience, I don't need to talk to you guys about reenactment scenes. But you know how they are. They're like black and white. They're stylized. Sometimes you only see their hands like grabbing a throat or something or like the back of someone's head as they're like the camera peeks around the head and there's like a woman tied up or something like that. You know, but I'm not sure, but I feel very sure <laughs> that David Wool played the serial killer in his own stories reenactment footage. 
Yeah, we actually have a clip here. I'd like to, if we could play it. Yeah. It's me, David Wool. Oh, no. You're a local California woman, and I'm a serial killer. Help me. I'm following you. That's right. What? I'm going to get you in my van. Oh, you escaped. Is this, you escaped, David is this Wool. This Lawyer. In California. But you'll deal with my son, Jacob Wool, soon enough. <laughs> All right, so if any of any of you are still listening, that's his father. <laughs> the apple, let's say that that doesn't necessarily uh <laughs> What the fuck was, <laughs> was that? He, was he playing a character or just playing himself? I'm confused. No, he that. was he was playing the character of the serial killer. Well, why did he say his own name and his son's name? <laughs> why would he do that? Why would he do that? Okay, so that's his father. He didn't fall too far from the lion-ass tree. <laughs> Let's get back to Jacob. To get a clearer picture of this guy, though... We're going to look at three of his companies, Wool Capital Investment Group, Next Capital, and Montgomery Assets Incorporated. These names are perfect. They're like so generic and white. It's like enough to feel like old money. And Next feels like kind of new money. And maybe they all feel like an album name for a Christian rock group like Creed or something. I don't know. Don't forget about the company that I just started. It's really good. Please check out Buy and Sell Market Index Fund of Wall Street Incorporated. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really good fund. So his first hedge fund, Wool Capital Investment Group, which was incorporated in March of 2015. That's important. Remember that. March 2015 in California. You could incorporate companies anywhere in America. But he chose California. He grew up in Corona, California, so it makes sense. If you don't know what a hedge fund is, and that's what he started, his hedge fund, it's just a pool of money managed by some dudes that's relatively unregulated. It's like doing blow in a five-star hotel bathroom. Same high, fewer rules, and people leave you alone. What I love about hedge funds, though, is that they can actually be evil. They will buy the debt of other countries and hold it over their head. So think about it this way. Like, we sell treasury bonds, right? You always have the U.S. treasury bonds. That's buying American debt. You buy this bond and you agree in a certain amount of time that the country will pay you back. A couple, you spend $100 on a bond, maybe in 20, 30 years, you'll get $104 back, right? Hedge funds that go and buy foreign debt, they're called vulture funds, and <laughs> which is beautiful. In Argentina, this is my favorite example. A vulture fund seized a training ship owned by the Argentine Navy called the Libertad, unless they paid up a certain portion of the bonds that they bought. Do you know how hard it is to back a tow truck up uh, to a battleship? <laughs> and then take and it you, take it to Queens. You're not taking you're not taking my ship. Oh yes I ma'am, ma'am, yes I am, ma'am. This is my job, ma'am. You gotta take it up with collections. Ma'am, it's it's me, Dog the Bounty Hunter. I'm in Argentina somehow. Oh my god! So Will starts this hedge fund with his buddy, Matthew Johnson. He's saying that he's the principal investor of a $500,000 crowdfunding asset. So is that like a Kickstarter campaign? <laughs> yeah, it turns out that the asset is mostly just an autograph 8x10 of comedian Robert Wool from Arliss. 
I think it's uh, slightly overrated, if you ask me. Actually, I heard it was backed by the tears of children. Yeah. <laughs> and priced at what a gallon of water will cost in the year 2050. Um, but Jacob Wolves was making the rounds on a variety of media appearances and stuff. And, and he's, you know, he's, he's doing his thing. He's like Mr. Capitalism, Mr. Young Capitalism, the wool of Wall Street. These old guys ate it up. The producers ate it up. And his victims ate it up. He uses all the buzzwords. You better hedge. You better invest smart. Buy some puts. Equity. <laughs> Equity. Bonds. <laughs> Iron Condor. Sell. <laughs> and he knows the power of hedge funds. So that's the thing you've got to remember. This guy is smart. He, and he's a walking advertisement. And he knows what he's doing. Let's be clear. It's not like he was taking people's money and just like buying PlayStations. He did invest it, and there's evidence to show that he didn't do terribly. But the thing here is, is that it takes brain power to do this. And what he was doing with that money and how he was selling these investment products are where all the lies were. Because if you think about it, the best lies are steeped in some truth. So if you know the knowledge and you know enough to be conversational, then you could just layer as much bullshit on top and it tastes just as good. Yeah, like it's actually true that we were one of the highest trending podcasts on Spotify for the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I've convinced my wife that I'm actually going to start bringing home Howard Stern money. I mean, part of that's true. Come on, Spotify. So from these media appearances, he's able to get some clients. Now, we, we found a bunch of court documents from the Arizona Corporate Commission, which is like this administrative agency that handles corporations and corporate uh, business in Arizona. Now... He actually got an investor from Arizona to give him some money. This guy was called Investor One. His name is David Dietrich, but it's spelled Died Rich. Yeah, which is actually the name of 50 Cent's last album. <laughs> his, his really his last album. His last one. <laughs> 50 Cent Hologram. So Jacob told Investor One or David, in March of 2015. Now, remember, he just incorporated his company in 2015 in March. He said to him, only 20% of your money that you put in is going to be put at risk. So that means if you give me $100, Justin, and I say 20% is going to be put at risk, that means you can only lose 20% or $20. Wool says he was not required to be registered with any agency. And get this, he said he had 178 investment accounts with an AUM of 9 to $10 million. That is fucking absurd. No chance in hell he had that much assets under management. By the way, assets under management equals AUM. For those of that don't know, AUM is like the pissing contest for finance. You always hear people talk about it. It's like the metric that everyone can understand. So it's like your AUM is bigger than my AUM. Or my AUM gets, gets bigger than your AUM. How much of it is private? How much of it is institutional? I know it cares. It's all just big buckets of money. I can't even do my taxes when there's more than one W-2 involved. <laughs> and this guy's saying, I got 178 accounts. Exactly. That's 23. Come on. Have you ever wondered if you'll ever make it to your dream home? I used to. But then I took control of my finances and my future. Look. I used to think real estate was only for the uber-rich on Wall Street, but Beverly Hills Investing showed me that it's possible for any American to access 7, 12, 18, even 23% returns with smart real estate investing. 
That's why I set up an American Eagle promissory note with Beverly Hills Investing. They took the house I'm in from misery to luxury, and I had some commodity exposure to ensure my returns were stable. So what are you waiting for? Go to beverlyhillsinvesting.com now, and maybe you'll join me. Poolside. So that's not all. Not only is he telling him these things, he sends up a, a, a prospectus, which is just a fancy PowerPoint. And he says, people are already making money, a 23% return. So here's the hook. Okay, he, he sets them up beautifully, all this stuff. We got all this money. We've got all these accounts. People are already making money. He says, there's a potential new trade, and it has a 99.5% probability of profit. And then he describes it as a textbook trade. What the flying fuck is wrong with people? Who believes 99.5? I, I couldn't do anything to a 99.5% certainty. Could you, Justin? Uh, Yes, I put all of my money in Lehman Brothers. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was 99.5% as a blue chip. Uh, <laughs> and that so worked good. out so well. It did. It was great. So this guy agrees to send Jacob Wool and the Wool Capital Investment Group $15,000. And when you do that, it comes with a form, kind of like a contract, right, where you both agree on these things. And it said a few things. First, it said Wool Capital Investment Group is a hedge fund, that Jacob Wool was the manager and administrator, and that they were charged a 3% fee on the assets. Okay, that's on 3% of 15,000, 15, and then 20% on any profits that he gets. All right, that's pretty typical, I would say. So that was March, all right? But now in July, the guy comes back for more, this time as an institutional investor. Oh, God, these terms are fucking making me go insane. So- if you don't know what institutional investor are, it's fine. Basically, every company has someone that manages like the retirement accounts for like Verizon. And so how do they know when they put money into a retirement account? How do they determine what investments they do to make it grow? So that's the institutional investor. For smaller businesses like David from our research, apparently owned a CPA firm, He's the institutional investor. He puts his companies and everyone in there's retirement accounts and invests it in something. Maybe not all the work accounts, but he puts a bunch of it in there. So Wool got this guy to give him another $25,000. All right, so March, $15,000. July, $25,000. And now in October, this fool comes back for more for another $35,000. Dude, something's going on. He's in for $75,000 to a kid who can't even legally buy alcohol yet. <laughs> we got ourselves a whale, baby. <laughs> but, you know, David wanted to get an update on how things were going. So it's the end of the year, December 2015 now. And he asked him, yo, Jacob, what's going on with the money? How's the investment going? And Jacob immediately says, hey, man, going great. Here's your account value. $89,461.05. That's about an 18% growth. Okay, so that seems good. And by the way, here's another thing that fraudsters do. They will give you a specific number or a specific name or a specific detail because who makes up a number like that? No one makes up that number, right? Unless you are making up that number. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, anytime somebody is asking for, you know, somebody comes up to you and he goes, "Hey, man, I need about twenty two dollars and fourteen cents to put <laughs> gas in my car because the the kid, well, there is no car right here, but the kid is stranded in the car right now, I guess. But if you can give me that twenty two point fifteen, I can get enough gas when I come back to then give you eighteen percent. Uh, yeah, it's always specific numbers. So specific, and then our brain reacts differently to that, right? Remember Dietrich, he's the guy that first started investing with Jacob Wool and Wool Capital Investment Group. So this guy thinks the money's growing, nothing to see here, just a kid who isn't allowed to drink or buy cigarettes, acting as a hedge fund manager with no license, making money. Great. Everything is totally normal. As every other investment person does, they're trying to grow. They're trying to find that that new angle. So Wool reaches out to Dietrich and says, I want to roll your money into this new venture. So before we get to what the next part is, which was Next Capital, I want to talk about what these guys did wrong. And from the court documents that we got, turns out Wool Capital Investment Group didn't have 178 accounts, Justin. They had 13. And they didn't have 9 to $10 million. They had a little less than $500,000. And again, so this is not like zero but they did have some, but they embellished it to, what? That's like 100 times. That's crazy. They embellished it so much. <laughs> Wool Capital Investment Group, Wool and Johnson, never registered with any securities sales system. Uh, they didn't get their license to trade securities. And that alone is illegal, right? You can't go and be a real estate agent and just like roll up to a house without a license and just be like, I'm selling this house. Come on over. You can't do that. You, and you can't. Oh, here's another thing. Really a big no-no. Very illegal. You can't say there's a 99% probability of profit. Shit, man. Coronavirus. Things like that are exactly why there are rules for shit like this so that the Jacob Bulls of the world can't say things like that. You can't guarantee profit at all because you don't know what's going to happen to the world and you can't make investors think that you're going to do that. So that alone... Terrible, terrible decision. All of those things, illegal, right? On their face. So now he rolls the money into a new business, Next Capital Management. No T, any X, and the X is like capitalized because he wants to be fancy. Is this an MTV2 reality show? <laughs> <laughs> You're next. Yeah, you've been next. <laughs> yeah. So Next was formed in November of 2015 in Delaware. Delaware, we'll probably get into how fancy Delaware is with, with incorporating there, but they got a lot of rules. It's a whole great place to incorporate your business. But remember, Rule wanted to roll David's money into this new venture. That's Next Capital here, and he claimed it to be a CTA. That's a Commodity Trading Advisor. Justin, I'm exhausted. Well, you got to tell the people what a commodity is because I bought a bunch last night when I was drinking this pepper vodka from All Points West Distillery in Newark, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) I've had that pepper vodka and it is very good. So what the fuck is this? What the fuck is a commodity? Besides that like beautiful scene from Trading Places where they're talking about oranges and stuff. We should just play that movie clip, but we'd get sued. So if you don't know what it is, it's totally fine. I got you. So with a stock, you buy a share of a company, right? 
with a commodity, you actually buy stuff like oil, cotton, coal, gold, wheat, basically anything in Settlers of Catan. It's the raw materials because these prices can fluctuate and companies buy and sell contracts on those to stabilize their prices. And of course, there are middlemen or speculators that profit from those trades. So I like to use fuel as a good example here, right? So let's say I'm a fuel distributor and I sell fuel. I always want to sell fuel at a high price. I'm selling it to airlines. I'm selling it to cruise liners, any big transportation. Those guys want to buy it from me as cheap as possible. Okay, so what we then do is we make a contract, which they call a futures contract, which basically means I'm making a deal to buy something in the future at a certain price. So they want to sell oil, right? So if I want to sell oil and, and, if, and if my CTA, my commodity trading advisor, who's a smart person, tells me, the oil uh, person, the oil salesman, hey, man, coronavirus is coming. It's January now, right? But coronavirus is going to rock the world. And oil is going to tank because none of these guys are going to be flying jets. They're not going to be doing their cruise liners. So oil's not going to be very in high demand, which means the price is not going to be up. We got to lock in a high price now so that these fuckers have to buy your oil three months from now at a high price. That's a futures contract. If you're doing oil, you should have a Texan actually telling you. Exactly. In a, in, in, in a very folksy way, you should say, now, boy, that uh, the China virus is coming through. And uh, what we... <laughs> I imagine we should do is that we should lock in the price longer than a hound's tooth. So <laughs> we can get more money in the long term. That's ex that is exactly right. So in, so in January, this fuel salesman, you know, he's he's paying $50 a barrel and he wants to lock in that price for or something close to that. So the fuel distributor says, okay, I'll make a contract with a cruise liner that they'll buy 100 barrels of this oil at $50 a barrel in April. And let's say the cruise line is Carnival Cruise Line, and they're like, hell yeah, give it to me, baby. This corona shit is just going to be a blip where nothing is going to happen at all. We'll take that contract. Woo! <laughs> we'll water slide on the top deck. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Ocean is singing later tonight. It's going to be great. <laughs> so April shows up. The cost of oil plummets. Plummets. But this cruise liner is like, fuck my life. They've already made a deal with this fucking fuel salesman that it's April. They got to buy 100 barrels of this oil. So the fuel salesman is making it rain at the local pink pony and the and the crew and the cruise liner is getting hosed right now. So that's a commodity and a futures contract and the CTA is the one that helps negotiate or helps advise rather the deal that this person is making. Now, if there are any finance people listening out there and I got that wrong, fraudsterslpn at gmail. Please send me an email. I'm happy to correct it. This shit is so ridiculously confusing. And there's no wonder why so many Americans don't get involved with it because you got to just make up some fancy words, go to some fancy school, join a country club just so that you can understand any of this shit. I think it's just better to sell commodity. Uh, it's called marijuana. 
<laughs> and the price of that has been very stable on uh, the secondary markets, the primary markets. Exactly, exactly right. So at this point, you know, David comes back and he rolls his 75K into Next, right? And it's really not 89K. Maybe it is. Who knows? But now it's a couple months later. It's January 2016, right? And David is like, hey, I'd like to take my money out. Now that it's in, it's grown all this much to 89, why don't you pay me out? Will responds, Jacob Will responds immediately, I'll cut you a $90,000 check and I'm going to send it overnight. What do you think happened? I'm going to guess that check uh, never materialized. (laughs) This fool did not send the check until it was the end of January, the 28th actually. And David didn't get $89,000. He got $44,131.69 back. Well, at least it's pretty close. (laughs) It's close. Yeah. There was no accounting for any of this of how it happened. Now, remember Philip Michael Thomas from the Psychic Readers Network when he was getting all that money in the beginning and he didn't know what the accounting was? This is the same exact thing. You're supposed to send like a little spreadsheet. Here's how your investment did. Here's how much money went in. Here's what had happened in the markets. They didn't send anything to this guy. And he's been investing with them for almost a year. Yeah, it's also not customary for your money to arrive uh, <laughs> as a bunch of loose bills wrapped in a rubber band inside of a cereal box. Oh, yeah. Like you, you get it like a Captain Crunch box. You got to eat like two bowls of it just to get to the money. Then, you're, then your tummy hurts. Oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the way you're normally supposed to do business. So this fool, he did. He sent the money. He sent half the money to him, and maybe word got around to other these other Arizona residents because there was actually another investor that was supposed to put twenty thousand into next, and he put a stop payment on that in early February of 2016. It was actually John McCain. <laughs> John McCain said, "Let me tell you something, my friends. It's just not ethical to." To, to only send half the money in a cereal box. And my friends, I think we can do better than that. You're not taking my fucking money. <laughs> but but let's, let's break down how the people got hooked because we have the prospectus, that fancy PowerPoint I was telling you about from Next. I actually reached out to a friend of mine who works in finance who will remain anonymous. We're going to call him Finance Steve because we had too much fun talking to him and it's going to be way easier for people to understand and how crazy this perspective really was when we talked to Finance Steve. Finance Steve, welcome to Fraudsters. We're protecting your identity to protect your loved ones, your family, and all the millions you have in in Cayman accounts. So (laughs) welcome to the show. Thanks, Dina. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, So this prospectus, let's put a hypothetical on this. If this prospectus came by your desk and it looks like a normal PowerPoint, and I'm sure you get a lot of these nexes in white text with a red block around it and capital management is right next to it on the cover page. It's just plain text on the outside. In the lower right-hand corner, there's a tagline, technology-driven alpha. Alpha is just another way of saying return, right? So does this mean they're using technology to do this? That's right. That's right. It's a quant strategy. So, you know, pretty, pretty standard run of, run of the mill strategy that a lot of these guys run. Um, it's, it's when you dig down deeper that some interesting uh, red, red flags, we can call them, will pop up. And so you would, you would see these red flags no matter what, like the, you see a prospectus and then what, just at a high level reading through this, what was your big takeaway from it? 
Yeah, I mean, you you know, you see a ton of these things. I mean, everybody's got a prospectus. There's what eight thousand hedge funds in the world, and and every year you have churn. You have a thousand closing down and a thousand popping up. So you know, through the years, you read a lot of these things, and you start to notice some patterns. And some things will stand out much more than others. And in this one, I think if you do have a critical eye, you will notice some glaring bullet points that he felt like he had the need to express in his prospectus, which probably says a lot about him and, and who he's looking for. So let's go through some of the earlier, like kind of just step through it. You know, after the title page, there's these two pages of disclosures. Do you guys read those or do you just expect kind of the boilerplate stuff to be there? Never once in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like reading so an Apple the Apple disclosure, you know, uh, on your iPhone. Of course. And, uh, come on. No one's doing that. Uh, so then on the overview page, it says the company executes a specialized quantitative strategy with a niche market with a high degree of edge over other traders. What, what does that mean? And is there anything else on this page that, that jumped out at you? Well, I, I, you know, I just underlined high degree of edge because, I mean, come on. Like, what? If you're a hedge fund, you're, it's just it's assumed that your investors are going to invest with you because they feel like you have some edge. But this guy feels the need to express that in writing uh, on the first page of his prospectus. We have edge. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, running around telling people that you're pregnant, like they can see it. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're a basketball player, it's like can dribble. Got it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, by the way, I'm seven feet tall. <laughs> Always a warning sign in the report where it says, I am a very rich man that can make you also very rich as well. Right, right, right. So then there's this thing at the end of that um, overview, profit and liquidity expectation. And it says, quote, expects to deliver at least 20% annual re return while taking less risks than the S&P 500. What does this mean? And it already sounds yeah. like bullshit to me. But the liquidity thing here, it's like, what, what does this mean? He expects to deliver at least 20% annual return while taking less risk. Is that normal or what does that kind of mean there? This is the first bullet point that just jumped off the page at me. I mean, a lot of the funds, you know, they'll, they'll target returns and say, hey, we're looking for this or this or this, but no one will ever say expect. It's just the wording that he used in some of these cases. That's just, it's, these, these are atypical prospectuses. You, you, we can, we can target a return, but we can't expect it. Right. It, like, I mean, there's coronavirus. You can't expect anything. You can. I mean, death and taxes is all we got. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. To say that you are expecting a 20% return, he's, he's either, some of these things are, he, he's almost doing, it almost seems like he's doing it intentionally targeting people that don't know what they're doing to invest in him. Because anybody that's got experience looking at these things, just this would be out the window before you got to page four. So when you say people that don't have experience in these things, who are those kind of people that would have gotten something like this, like a wealthier, older person or something? The dumb money is great money to have because it's it's not problematic. They don't know what questions to ask. They're trusting. You know, a lot of you hear about a lot of the times you hear about smart money and dumb money. The smart money is, you know, the big funds, um, you know, multi-billion dollar, no, multinational. The dumb money is the mom and pop money who doesn't have experience with this stuff. And it's unfortunate because most of the time those are the, 
those are the people that get taken advantage of. Am I, uh, I have an Ameritrade account where I choose my own stocks. I would be uh, considered, <laughs> I would be considered dumb money, correct? Don't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, hey, look, yes, it's, it's, it's a bad stereotype, but it's unfortunate. And, and it's true sometimes for the most part. He talks about this beta, the NSVA, Next Strategic Volatility Arbitrage. What the? What does this mean? I don't even understand what this means. This is so confusing. Beta, the, a lot of these Greek letters are just for hedge fund guys to seem smart, but beta is another word for volatility. Okay. So, and beta is a relative term. It's in relation to something else. Got it. So his beta is in relation to this strategic volatility arbitrage thing. Is that, is that like an investment vehicle that he has? He's got some index, you know, that has a volatility to it. And his, his volatility in relation to that index is X. And the numbers he put in here, uh, plus 0.14 is the average high print. Do these numbers uh, net out uh, as normal if – it just seems very low. I mean, if you're trying to say, you know, hey, we're great and we're very low vol and our returns are amazing, his vol is too low and his returns are too high and they're expected, which is just insane. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. Oh, and not to mention the fact that, we, I mean, we skipped over the, the, the page that has the uh, breakdowns of the his staff members, his team mix. Yeah, please. He goes right into saying he's got 10 years trading experience, but he doesn't say from where. <laughs> oh, right. That's important. <laughs> I mean, typically, if you're running a fund, you, you know, a lot of people invest because of the pedigree, right? Hey, like, you know, I, you know. I worked at this bank and ran this type of strategy and was a portfolio manager here. And oh, by the way, I went to school here and graduated with this degree. He didn't even put that. Well, that's because he never went to college and he started trading when he was 12 <laughs> years old. <laughs> his parents' house are where his pedigree is from. And, and his trade record as a 12-year-old was really great. One time he managed to get a King Griffey Jr. rookie card for a Barry Larkin uh, all-star card. It was a really great trade. <laughs> but he can program in Java. Exactly. He does. And so I guess they did that for the rest of the guys too, right? 10 years, Matthew Johnson, 10 years trading experience, including many different asset classes. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, he's, oh, UC Berkeley, 2011 graduate. They put his college. At least. That's good. And then Rachel Fox, the chief innovation officer. We tried to reach out to her over Twitter. She didn't get back to us. But she was a TV film actress and has five years trading experience. Um, so that's exactly what you want out of a hedge fund, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> the first thing you want to see is where, where did they work? You know, what's their experience? Where, you know, where, where did they, where did they train? We're going to start a hedge fund. that's like Justin. It's like day players on law and order SVU. <laughs> yeah. She was an extra in boiler room. So she has. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite sections is this uh, transparency and communication section. Now, uh, one of the things that Jacob Wall did or did not do was really give an accounting of how his investments for clients were doing. And here he's saying that you get daily statements uh, or monthly statements. He's, they've got a full-time liaison. How often is an investor supposed to know how their account is doing and how does that kind of work? How does that communication and transparency work normally? It's typically typically monthly or quarterly 
you know, either hard copy statements or, you know, some email, you know, letter. Um, but that's regular and that's, that, that's without fail. I mean, daily is, is not typical for these guys and in-depth daily is definitely not typical, but, uh, yeah, mo- I mean, monthly updates is pretty standard. And so what happens if you sent a statement and you were like, Hey, how am I doing this month? And you just sent a number, like, what would, what would the client do? Like your number was just like. 1% or 10%. Yeah, or just sent you any number without an accounting or anything. Yeah, no. That's, no. <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> They'd be pissed, right? They would lose their shit. That's what he did. He was telling people, hey, you made a X percent, or like, hey, your money went from 75K to 89K, and they didn't say anything else. Wow. That's it. Wow. So, okay. So, wow. that, so obviously, it's sad what happened to that person. Can't make this stuff up. Uh, then there's the past results page, which is really where I think I'd, I'd love to see you flex here because there are so many weird numbers in here. And can you break down some of them, maybe a little bit about what they mean and why they're absurd or why they're in this page at all? I ran out of ink circling numbers on this page. <laughs> okay, what's the first one that I mean, jumps out? I heard the sharp ratio. Well, to start out with, I mean, sharp ratio is a is a measure of units of return per risk that you're taking. So it's it's kind of like re- return over volatility. Okay. And a high sharp ratio is what you're looking for. I mean, you're looking for high returns with with a low volatility. You don't want to see your money, you know, up fifty percent one month and down fifty the next, and up twenty five the next. You know, you kind of want to, you know, make a half a percent or a percent a month and and, and people are, you know, we're creatures of habit. We don't like to see big changes. So when you see, when you see a sharp ratio that's approaching one, you know, that, that's, a, that's a skilled manager who can make money over time with low vol. When you see a sharp ratio that's approaching two, I mean, you're like Warren Buffett godlike <laughs> proportions. I've never even seen, I don't think I've ever re- even really seen a sharp ratio over two. He puts 7.8. <laughs> I didn't even know. I had to actually look it up. I didn't know you could actually, like, I thought that was, like, against the laws of physics. Even Wilt Chamberlain is like, those stats are a little outrageous. You might want to dial it down a little bit. It's like, doesn't exist. That's like saying you're, like, nine feet tall. (laughs) Okay, well, what else on this page? There's, And he compresses all of these numbers into one slide just the visual of it looks intimidating. If you're sadly in the dumb money, you'll probably fall for something like this. What else jumps out? I guess that's what he was going for. I mean, probability of profit. I mean, some of these hedge fund managers, you know, they just say there's an expression you know, on the street. All you have to do is win 51% of the time. Yeah. And in the long term, you know, you're good. You know, nobody wins every day. It's just not, that's not how this game works. This guy's got an 88% hit ratio. <laughs> So the, I mean, yeah, that's unheard of. He's the, he's the Drake of finance. Everything is a hit. <laughs> Everything. He can't lose. He's yeah. He's in a boat trying to hit water. I guess like 
88% profit is just, it's just unrealistic. It doesn't, it, it doesn't happen. Anyone that claims that they win 88% of the time is either insane or just a liar. Yeah, they're just cheating or in some sort of insider trading of some kind, right? It's got to be something. What can you win 88% of the time in? <laughs> That's what we were saying before. <laughs> There's just nothing. I've not done anything at, uh, in my life at that probability. It's just not, it just doesn't even happen. If by winning he means losing, then yeah. I don't know. So there's a number. 88.3%. There's number of winning trades, 111. I don't understand. What does that mean? I guess he's breaking down. So his total trade, he's got 135,000 total trades. And of those 135, I guess that's how he got up to the 88%, 111. I see. I see. We're winning. It's a big hit ratio. <laughs> Never struck out. So what else? What else Ever. on this page is patently absurd? Uh, the win rate—I I don't know if the win rate is different than probability of profit, but that's insanely high too. And and here he says he's got so he's got winning months. He's got thirty-three winning months and three losing months. So in three years, I mean, again, he's the—I don't know. He's the Drake of hedge funds. This he is what never... this is. By the way, this is means he started winning when he was 16 years old as a hedge fund. <laughs> he must be so tired of winning. <laughs> there are pro wrestlers uh, in, that that uh, in a predetermined sport that don't have a winning percentage of 80 over three years. Hulk Hogan lost more than that in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else just for this, the fans' sake? <laughs> anything else on this past results page? Just the beta numbers again. I mean, average beta just it just seems too low. I don't know. Point one four. So there's no volatility. So he just wins all the time, and he's got no volatility. Got it. Huge. That's a huge red flag. It's just just wrong. And then he's got all this stuff like technology stack. All these fundamental. Who doesn't have an algorithm anymore, right? Does Google count if you use sure. that as your algorithm? Does that not, sure. does that count, right? Um, so there's a That's lot of like true. fluff in there. Uh, this risk management stuff. Um, anything else in these last pages? Because I just want to kind of get to like the minimum investment stuff, which cracked me up. What what else jumped out at you? The tax advantage is a little funny because typically in prospectuses, you know, your accountant deals with the taxes. You don't need your 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 hedge fund strategy telling you that they're tax optimized. Got it. Because what? They don't that's not their <laughs> They make the money. Bag. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. God, so beautiful. And okay. then the risk management page, I feel like he just I don't know where he got this stuff. He prevents drawdowns so they don't ever lose. And he's removing uncertainty. Yeah. You're not allowed to say I, this. There are rules, right? <laughs> You're like not allowed to say yeah. these things. Yes. We remove uncertainty from your life. <laughs> Anytime you see a, 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 a money manager telling you this stuff, you should don't turn and jog. Turn and run. <laughs> exactly. Just run away. Uh, this last question. Uh, which blew me away, and maybe this is normal, but on the contact page, it's all redacted except for LA office, location disclosed on a need-to-know basis. Is this normal? Need to know. Need to know. I guess if you need to, if you need to know, you're pretty uh, you're 
you're pretty dialed in with this guy. But I mean, like, who who have you ever worked with that was like, Finance Steve, if you need to know where we are to come find us, like, we're on a yacht in the Hudson, <laughs> come find us. <laughs> How about this? If you've gotten to page 18 of the prospectus and haven't noticed anything wrong with it yet, this should be the final uh, <laughs> nail in your coffin. <laughs> the, the need to know basis address. Oh my God. Well, is there anything else on this that we, that we should talk about that we missed? This is a special document. <laughs> well, finance, Steve, I won't take too much more of your time. Thank you so much for joining us on fraudsters. I think everyone got a good lesson in uh, the fuckery of Jacob wool and next capital. My pleasure. Okay, so that's Next Capital. Same racket here. He lied on this, and David Dietrich got a check for 44000 Instead of Dietrich losing 20%, he lost 50% of his account value. So instead of losing 20%, he lost 50%. (laughs) (laughs) At the most, he could have lost $15,000, and there's more. There's more, okay? So now here's what I think. This Wool Capital Investment Group and Next Capital were actually vehicles for him to get into real estate. And that's what he did with Montgomery Assets Incorporated. This is all allegedly, of course, but Montgomery Assets Incorporated was formed in Wyoming, which is weird, in April of 2016. And this this one was the most transparently shitty scam of all of them. And that's why I think the other two were trying to funnel into it. And I'm not an expert. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on this, but... He was advertising on Craigslist Phoenix. I don't know why he targeted the good people of Arizona so much, but he started advertising in July. Older people with money that they don't know what to do with. That's probably true. So he starts advertising in July of 2016 and as a a real estate fund. Now, this is easy enough to figure out, right? Give us your money. We're a real estate fund. We'll invest it. We'll buy property and then we'll sell the property once it goes up and give you a return based on that. Sometimes they'll collect rent and give you a share of the rent, right? But like, who is going for investments on Craigslist? Well, I look for discrete encounters and then also solid real estate investments when I'm on uh, Craigslist. It may be a used couch. I don't know about you, Justin, but when, when the Craigslist killer happened, I think that was New York, right? I was like, I think I'm done with Craigslist. I think that's a wrap for me. Here's what they claimed on their Craigslist advertisements. So they would purchase homes for 30% under the fair market value. So if a home is worth $100,000, 30% less, they would buy it. Then they would renovate the home in four weeks, okay, and then sell through, quote, a vast network of real estate brokers, investment funds, and other professionals, and then exiting between 15 and 45% net profit, what the fuck? Like, drug dealers don't make this much money. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, too, uh, anybody that's ever watched Bargain Mansions knows that four weeks is even in a pretty ambitious turnaround time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so here's what I love, too. Meanwhile, again, he's like 19, 20 years old. He says, 30 years of experience in Southern California. Used to be a private and secured. Now it's for everyone, right? They used to be a private company. They didn't want it only for rich people. Now they want to bring it to the masses. That's why they're on fucking Craigslist. And then he said, will, they will make investors 15% in six months or less? <laughs> Fuck. So he also says that he's a Series 3 licensed broker. And they encouraged people to go to this website, BeverlyHillsInvesting.com. What a fancy name. 
Beverly Hills Investing showed me that it's possible for any American to access 7, 12, 18, even 23% returns with smart real estate investing. So what are you waiting for? Go to beverlyhillsinvesting.com now and maybe you'll join me. Poolside. Another ad in July of 2016 on Craigslist was titled, Conservative Real Estate Investing, 7% in six months, low risk. I, that, that to me is like quintessentially just not okay to do. It is just very insidious. You got people looking for free furniture on Craigslist or some weird vinyl album or something, and they stumble upon some investment thing that says low risk, 7% in six months. That's crazy. In other ads, they said that they had 35 years of experience flipping single family residential real estate. And they said they were a licensed broker for 14 years, and they had national multi-state licensing system licenses as a lender. So that means they could lend money, which is absurd. I mean, they said, here's the, here's the kicker. We are the safest, most conservative real estate investments in the world. Well, I think what we'll find out is that uh, they may not have been the safest, but they did have the most conservative part covered, but not in the way that uh, their, their, their investors were thinking. It's exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So they all tried to funnel people into this very highly branded American Eagle promissory note. And they said they had operations in Dubai, New York, Geneva, Dallas, Chicago, Hong Kong, and even Silicon Valley. I would say good. I mean, good, good on Dallas for making that list. Yeah, huge for Dallas. Even on the website, it said Wool has 10 years of investment experience and Johnson has 10 years of options trading experience. So Wool is saying that since he was nine or 10 years old, he's been investing. And which means investing in this case means he was investing illegally at a young age. Well, he actually did have quite the POG collection. Yeah. That he, uh... <laughs> I, I saw Jacob Wool's slammers. They were some of the best POG slammers I've ever seen. In a game, he could get you 7% profit on some of the most conservative slams. In my best years, I was only averaging 2 to 3% return on my pogs. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I was kind of almost like a losing battle. <laughs> so they have this guy on the hook, right? He's investor four in the court documents. And he wants to invest, oh God, $100,000. And so Jacob Bull and Matthew Johnson guaranteed him 8% in six months or less. And they even said to him, it's 100% safe, even if the housing market softens. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, it sounds pretty good. Like one thing we learned in 2008 is that there's such thing as 100% safe investments in the housing market. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Always true. All 100% guaranteed. So this guy gets on a call with Wool and Johnson and Wool says, oh, here's here's a beautiful part. Here's like, oh, God. Wool says, quote, you know, we're, we're quite a large firm, not ultra large like Goldman Sachs. It's not Wells Fargo, but, you know, we've got a nice solid team. Funds would be combined with other funds to purchase property, and then the funds would be repaid once the property was sold. So then his partner gets on the phone, and the partner reiterates, 8% return, my man. We've already obtained one investor for the property, a Mr. Burgess. And he'd been an investor for over a year when the company hasn't even existed for a year. And that they've done 11 deals in the last 365 days. 
This is right. This is me, Mr. Burgess. Oh, so good to have you, Mr. Burgess. Uh, how oh, was the investing you. experience with Montgomery Assets Incorporated? It is my honor as a financial elite to be in business with a firm that promises 100% safe investments. <laughs> so, Investor 4 agrees, and they want to get the money from her, right? And they call Investor 4, and she doesn't call back. They send her a letter, okay, when she doesn't call back. They send her a letter predicting a volatility event beginning in August and December of 2016, much like the one from August 2015. If you don't know, 2015 in August, there was like some flash crash. There was a bunch of different reasons for it. It doesn't matter. But here's the holy shit moment, guys. They sent a letter to a potential investor just like Miss Cleo and the Psychic Reader sent letters to those people saying, Miss Cleo has an important reading for you. Jacob Wool and his buddies just sent a letter to this person and said, we've got a volatility event. You've got to invest with us. You better hurry up and do it. So this letter encouraged all these clients, the Montgomery Asset Incorporated clients, to sell their holdings in stocks, mutual funds, and ETFs and put them directly into these American Eagle promissory notes from Montgomery Assets. I mean, this is absurd. So let's break down all the fuckery that these two were doing. They were obviously not licensed. They were not licensed to do real estate in California or Arizona. And at the time of these postings, Wool was only 18 years old and Johnson was 27 years old at the time. They didn't have any fucking business ties in Hong Kong, Dubai, Geneva, whatever the fuck. Off, they offered to sell a security that is not registered and as an unregistered salesman. So... Again, I can't just build some sort of investment vehicle, go out into the world and start selling it. Rich people have big walls that they put up so that other idiots don't come in and take their money. And of course, there's just the outright fraud of the advertisements. He had this whole scheme and these materials, these prospectuses, these advertisements. What was the name of the bond again? The American Eagle Promissory Note. Here, I actually have a clip of the commercial. Well, I'm proud to invest in an American Eagle promissory note for me, where they transfer all 80% of profit without a handling fee, <laughs> and I'll trade up next to you to get profit every day. American Eagle promissory note party in the USA. That was beautiful. No, I think that that is gonna that is gonna open Monday Night Football this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stand for the anthem, baby. So the Arizona Corporate Commission gets wind of this and they fine him thirty two thousand dollars. Now he, the, the Arizona Corporate Commission is not a criminal place, right? It's just uh, it's civil, right? It's an administrative penalty. So. They are called to the corporate commission for not paying. Obviously, they're not gonna fucking pay. And what I love is, and by the way, I watched the like the entire hearing, and it's like this panel of dudes that are just talking about business stuff and companies that aren't paying shit. And the commissioner, Boyd Dunn, who is a Republican, by the way, is talking to Wool and Johnson's lawyer at this. And I think we have a clip from that meeting. No, I, I think we should ask the um, counsel here that uh, that his client is willing to agree to this. I, I'm wrestling with this, too. If there's been a second default of payment on this, I'm wondering why we're going through this exercise and why you think your client is going to be able to make payment 
just on a later date if he, he's not able to make the payment today. And obviously, I understand your concern, um, but we believe it's relatively a small amount. I know you guys have seen hundreds of thousands of dollars for these types of cases, and so um, it would be $16,000. And it, we would agree that if he does not remit payment within 30 days, like you suggested, um, then the entire amount would be in default. Sir, it's not a small amount to the investor, so don't belittle it. The, the point is, 30 days, you don't have a hearing in this case. So 30 days he makes his payment or goes to the AG's office. You understand that? Yes. So I added it a little bit just to because they were talking about that default thing. And basically the $16,000 is just the first payment of the $32,000. But listen, you, you got to be in a lot of trouble for these guys to get angry at you. All they want is for business to keep flowing. So it turns out this shit did get referred to the attorney general's office of Arizona, but it wasn't really Arizona that did the criminal work here. It was California. So here's how California was able to arrest Jacob Wool and Matthew Johnson. Remember David Dietrich, Justin, remember our man died rich? Yes, yes. Well, he didn't just complain to the Arizona Corporate Commission. He went to the district attorney's office of Riverside County to complain. Now they know about the Arizona stuff. They know about all this stuff. And it's June 2016 now, right? Midway through, he is, this is months after he was shortchanged by Wool and Wool promised him everything. And he told them that he learned about Wool from television and that he invested with him and Matthew Johnson through the company Wool Capital Investment Group. We know now that Dietrich lost a bunch of money in that investment, even when it turned into Next Capital. But here's the tragic turn. They were investigating for a couple months when Dietrich commits suicide in August of 2016. Now, I couldn't find a reason for his suicide. If it's the same person that I found that owned the CPA firm, he was a successful accountant. And apparently he had incurred a lot of physical injuries over time, and that became long-term pain management. And it's upsetting that at the end of this man's life, he was trying to figure out a way to get his money from a fucking kid that ripped him off. And we obtained a copy of the Riverside County arrest warrant that senior investigator Jim Larsh had signed by a judge that tracks him and his undercover operation against Jacob Wool. So now we're into the fucking weeds here. First thing they did was they went to BeverlyHillsInvesting.com and reached out, posing as... Jim Larsh with Keller Williams Realty Arcadia. By the way, they obviously didn't Google Jim Larsh because he didn't even change his name. <laughs> Just kept the same name. <laughs> and Jim Larsh says he has a client interested in investing money with their company. So then someone named Jacob Wool responded to the email and wanted to schedule a call with the client. Then someone saying that they were Wool follows up with a voicemail saying he's the managing partner at Montgomery Assets. So on July 28th, 2016, a person identifying themselves as Matthew Johnson with Montgomery Assets called Jim and spoke about the investments. Johnson pitches him the Montgomery Assets Delta Neutral Real Estate Fund, which is, I guess, similar to the American Eagle one. It's probably just a different thing. But this one apparently focuses on distressed properties, refurbishing them, and then flipping for a profit, but also having some commodity trading exposure. What the fuck does any of this mean? So it's like, all right, what we will do is we will gentrify this crack house, but also give you uh, eight pounds of soybeans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
And so Johnson and they they have this great deal, all right? And Johnson said he would send over a private placement memorandum, which is like a contract, but obviously he never did. So after a few more calls and emails with Wool and Johnson, Larsh brings another undercover detective, Brian Wong, on August 19th, 2016, to an in-person meeting. Now listen, I would have paid thousands to be a fly on the wall or be in that cafe. Because now I don't want to be stereotypical here, but when you bring a, a guy named Brian Wong and he's undercover, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Brian Wong is posing as like a Chinese billionaire and he's wearing glasses and is just very stoic looking the entire time, possibly not making eye contact with Wool or Johnson. And, J- and Lars is just like making like whispering into Wong's ear every time and then Wong would just be like mm, no no mm, yes yes <laughs> they're like our client here is a prominent uh communist party official like meanwhile detective Wong was born and raised in Pasadena <laughs> exactly <laughs> in the meeting Johnson says how Wong's money would be used in this like delta neutral asset fund to purchase and refurb and flip property even though the contract that they eventually sent and signed said that they can invest in anything. So that's great. Tell you one thing, but actually invest in whatever the fuck they want. Then Johnson gives him the American Eagle promissory note, which indicated that Wong would invest $100,000 for a 12-month period and receive a rate of return of 17%. It also listed two... Uh, parcels of land, basically, which are associated with real estate property. So when you invest in a real estate fund, they're going to say, hey, here's the land we're going to do it for. Wong signs and Johnson provides the wire transfer info. Right there. That's illegal. This is selling a security. And to do that, you need to be registered to sell. You need The security itself has to be registered. And also, you can't fucking lie about everything you're selling. You can't just make everything up out of thin air. So for the next two weeks, Wool and Johnson are trying to get money from Wong and Larsh. And of course, you know, neither of these guys are around. They they got hosed. I think it's really funny. I think Detective Wong was really suspicious uh, when Wool and uh, Johnson showed up to the meeting dressed as uh, two kids stacked inside of a trench coat. <laughs> why, why are the Muppet babies inside of that coat? I don't understand. So they get arrested. And they turned themselves in, really. The warrant went out for the arrest, but then it got withdrawn when Jacob Wool showed up. And so what Jacob Wool is just waiting right now. He's waiting for a court date in October. Obviously, it got delayed because of the pandemic. But now he's doing something even less regulated than finance, political media. Since it's basically all speech, it means he can manipulate and lie as much as he wants. There are no laws against spreading rumors or lying about public officials. Yeah, uh, we call that cable news. <laughs> so so we tried to start an intelligent company to do specifically that, to influence the media, which in turn would swing betting markets and presumably public opinion. But by the way, none. there's no record that any of that actually worked for the betting markets. And who knows how much of it influenced our perception of a public official or a story that's out there. And, and not to put too fine a point on this, if you're someone that's retweeted something only by reading the headline or shared something within a minute of reading it, you could be a victim of Jacob Bull's scams or projects. I mean, I'm one of them. I know I've done this myself. I try not to do it, but we've all done it. 
And this is how people like Jacob Wool are able to prey on the vulnerable. And I don't mean weak people or not smart people or poor people. Vulnerability is when we're online, tapping the fucking screen and not thinking. That's great. It's great to get the background of a fraudster. It's really great the way the system has just allowed this guy to just complete up it, up the ante. That no one's put this person in jail yet. I love this stuff. Again, when you go big, like, listen, you steal a piece of candy from a convenience store at prison, but you defraud investors of thousands of dollars, and maybe one of the guys killed himself because he was so upset because he lost the money. I don't know. But no, you get to turn yourself in and wait for a court date. But listen. Boys will be boys, Cena. Some people just exactly. uh, create a series of elaborate uh, scams to defraud people out of their money. And then uh, some people maybe have weed on them. <laughs> but he's such you know. a he's such a good boy. He's got a good heart. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of Frosters. Uh, we'll be back next week with part two of this. We're going to interview Nancy Rommelman. We're also going to be talking about that Elizabeth Warren presser. That was so funny. I'm Cena Gazzavi at Cena Now on all social media. Justin Williams, justinwilliamscomedy.com, and Justin's on Facebook, right? That's right. I am on Facebook. If you have a misleading political meme, please share it on my wall. (laughs) And special thanks to Hazel Bryan, our producer, Marie Anderson, our editor, Emily Fusco on research. And this has been a production of Last Podcast Network and Zero Cool. Picture this, you're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.